Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind, Healthy Life with your host Avik. This podcast is all about exploring the latest research, sharing personal stories and providing personal tips for improving our mental health and well-being. Each episodes will be joined by experts in the field of mental health as well as individuals who have experienced the transformative power of a healthy mind firsthand. Together we will dive into a range of topics from managing stress and anxiety to building resilience and cultivating happiness. So, join us on this journey to discover new ways to take care of our minds, bodies and souls and let's work together to create a healthier, happier world one episode at a time. So, let's get started. Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind Healthy Life. I'm your host Avik and I'm thrilled to have Dr. Annie Wells with us today. So welcome to the show doctor. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Lovely. So uh Dr. Annie like before we start our conversation today and uh we delve deep into this topic today, uh, I would love to mention this to all of our listeners that Dr. Annie with uh, a career journey from Harvard to her own practice she is a coach and advocate specializing in supporting women in the stem stem healthcare and the working parents so her unique blend of research and uh, real life experiences aims to enhance the leadership skills emotional intelligence and also the work life integration so her journey from turning down medical school to exploring the uh, questions of career meaning and uh, fulfillment has shaped her approach so she is a mother of four and uh, a work in progress as a working parent and a steadfast supporter of women in male dominant fields like stem stem and the law so join us as we delve into her insights on the leadership authentic living and the profound impact of understanding ourselves on our journey to a healthier mind and the life so welcome to the show again dr any thank you so much okay so uh like dr any like if you can share a bit about your personal and the professional journey that has uh, actually led you to your current work in supporting women especially in the stem and the healthcare and the working parents Yeah yeah I um you know my career path has been a bit uh, uh circuitous it's taken some pivots but you know I I think part of it came from you know my initial dream as a kid was to be a doctor and my mother was a doctor which was very rare at the time um you know she was one of 10 women in her medical school class of 300 um so it was an extremely uh unique thing to have a mom as a doctor and um my parents were really encouraging my interest in stem which was also kind of rare at the time you know in the 1980s there was still a i think some of like science was undo um and i wanted to be a doctor i was super interested in helping people and i was very interested in science um and i kind of took a bunch of extra science classes was all gung ho until i got into medical school i thought to myself this isn't what i want um it, it, this is my parents dream for me for sure and it's what i thought i wanted as a kid um 
And all of a sudden there was this panic of like, but, but I don't actually want it. So what am I going to do? And that's when I pivoted and decided to go into clinical psychology instead. Um, even starting out that, you know, again, I had one idea of what I wanted to do. I thought I was going to have a research career. My research looked at the transition to parenthood, even though I was not a parent yet. Um, and then I also had a line of research looking at career development and kind of how people make career choices and how they um, either defined or do not find happiness within those. Um, and I pursued those research careers ended up taking a job at Harvard. Um, and eventually I had a couple of my own kids and again, thought I'm not thrilled with the mix and how this is looking for me and made another pivot. And that's when I started my own uh, practice and kind of focused on supporting working parents in doing similar things, right? And yeah. saying, what do, versus what does everybody else want? And how am I going to make this all fit together for me? Wow, that's lovely. So uh, about the common concerns for the woman, uh, like in your practice, what are the most common concerns you hear from women in the field of STEM uh, and the healthcare? And regarding the same also, like how do these concerns uh, impact their well-being? Yeah, I mean, I think the most common thing I hear from from women across the board is some version of, I am overwhelmed or, and, or I feel like I'm failing. Um, and, and I think that it, a lot of it comes from not recognizing how hard they are working and kind of how hard their journey is versus the, the journeys of maybe others or of men in their fields. Um, you know, sometimes I use the analogy of to be a woman in STEM or in, in healthcare or law, a, a field where women have historically been pretty discriminated against. It's like you're hiking up a mountain with a hundred pound backpack that you don't realize you're carrying. And the men are just kind of hiking up with like a water bottle. They don't have, right. They don't have as much um, to carry. And, and the women kind of sometimes wonder, well, what, what am I doing wrong? Why does it look so much easier for them? And it's because there's a lot that you're working against um, and you've already had to overcome so much to get to where you are. And, and sometimes coaching and therapy is just valuable and just acknowledging that, right? And having someone else say, no, this isn't you. It's not hard because you're doing something wrong. It's it's hard just because it is a very hard thing that you are trying to do um, and getting a lot of validation and kind of that self-compassion piece involved. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with this. Yeah. So uh, we, we often heard about this word ambitious. Now, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned like navigating the ambitious identity paradox so if you could also elaborate like on uh, what this paradox entails and how individuals can identify and overcome it in their pursuit of the fulfillment yeah so i've you know in working with women in particular but high achieving folks for a very long time in my career i've kind of developed this this idea, this ambitious identity paradox. And, and essentially what it boils down to is that in striving for perfection or not even perfection, but something close to that based on external standards, we end up with this really profound inner conflict because then we're torn between those external standards and our own kind of innate desire for fulfillment. And the more we chase these external standards without checking in, with that question of what do I want? What feels fulfilling for me? The more disconnected and the more unhappy we get. 
So then you end up with people that are overwhelmed, who can't set boundaries, who are struggling, who are maybe burnt out, who are maybe checked out and really bored. Or um, the other thing I hear is, you know, I'm I'm making all of these successes at work and none of it feels good. I'm I feel empty every time I get that next rung on the career ladder. Um, and what I end up working with folks to do is to kind of label all of those external things, kind of similar to how I describe my own choice to, to not go to medical school to say, well, whose who's standards are these? And where did they come from? Are they cultural? Are they based on my gender? Are they based on my family and what my parents want? Yeah. And then start to the even sometimes more challenging work of, okay, but what do I want? What would actually make me feel fulfilled? What are my desires? And then how do I actually pursue those instead? Understood. That's, that's really true. So, uh, I mean, how does the self-compassion play a role in uh, your coaching and the support for the individuals navigating for both the ambitious career uh, paths and also about the personal well-being? Yeah, I mean, self-compassion is such an important piece of work. And, and if anyone's really interested in it, like one of the premier researchers is a woman named Kristen Neff, and she has so much out there um, on her website. And, and really, it's the idea of accepting yourself how you are. And it doesn't mean I can't push myself to achieve goals, and it doesn't mean I can't do hard things. It means, you know, essentially kind of approaching yourself the way you would a best friend, right? If your best friend comes and says, I worked really hard for this thing and I didn't get it, you mm -hmm. wouldn't say to them, well, it's because you're stupid or you're lazy or you just clearly didn't try hard enough, right? You would say something more along the lines of, it's okay to have failed, right? It's okay to have tried for something and not gotten it. Um, you'd kind of speak to them with this more compassionate voice. And we're especially I think those of us that are high achieving and maybe a little perfectionist, uh, we tend to speak to ourselves pretty critically, right? And to have this internal critic. And, and I think sometimes we even think the internal critic is thing driving us towards uh, achievement, but in the end, it's not, it's getting in our way, right? And so if we can approach ourselves from a standpoint of, it's okay to have feelings, it's okay to struggle, you can do hard things, you can struggle and still achieve, um, then we are actually setting us up for more, setting ourselves up for more long-term sustainable progress. Exactly, that's that's true, yeah. So uh, like when we are talking about uh, this thing, uh, about the self-compassion, about the ambition, then, work life also comes into this picture so balancing a demanding career with the personal life uh, can be sometimes challenging also so how do you guide individuals to create a harmonious work-life integration without compromising their uh, aspirations yeah you know so the first thing i always start with is to help folks recognize that balance isn't some sort of magical nirvana state right you're not going to find work-life balance and then never have to address it again. That's not how life works, right? If you think about what balance actually is, if you are, you know, I, I, I practice yoga, right? And so if I am in a balancing posture, I am actually making all sorts of tiny micro movements the entire time that I'm in it, right? I'm not rigid. I am somewhat flexible in that in that space. And, and that's what balance looks like in our lives too, right? And so Balance is more about a process over time of making adjustments. So that means that there may be periods where I 
I'm a little bit more focused on my career because there's either a deadline or an exciting thing I'm, I'm working towards. And I say to my, to my family, Hey, for the next month, mom's got a couple extra stuff going, things going on at work and dinner's going to maybe be takeout a little more often, or, um, you know, you may see the babysitter a little few extra hours, but on the other side of it, then maybe I pull back from work a little bit and I'm home a little bit more. Right. And so that it can be this adjustment in both ways. Um, the other piece that goes along with that is taking a pretty clear look at your values and your boundaries and really kind of assessing what am I saying yes to and what am I saying no to um, and being kind of crystal clear on those. And so in boundaries work, I often tell folks, you know, you A, you're allowed to say no, right? You do not have to do everything that is asked of you. And if that feels hard to recognize that no and yes always come together. So if I'm saying no to a project at work, I'm saying maybe yes to extra time for myself. If I say yes to that project at work, if my boss says, hey, can you actually take on this extra thing? And I say yes, simply because I don't want to say no or I don't want to upset him. I have to check in with what am I then saying no to, right? I'm If I'm working extra, maybe I'm saying no to a little more sleep for myself. Maybe I'm saying no to catching my kid's soccer game. Maybe I'm saying no to... Um, my own project at work that is more interesting. Yeah. It's okay either way, as long as you're clear on what both sides of that are. So that clarification uh, needs to be there, the self-clarification. Yes, yes. Correct. So uh, also perfection. Perfectionism is definitely a common challenge. Uh, so mm-hmm. how do you help individuals defeat that especially in this field where um, high standards are often the norm? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. And, um, you know, it's one that I personally struggle with too, right? Like I was born a perfectionist and and I call myself a reformed perfectionist, but it can still rear its head at times, even for me. Um, You know, I think recognizing it first and saying, we're never going to get things perfect. That's actually not possible as human beings. We cannot be perfect. And if we try, we're going to burn out. And I think that's where the self-compassion comes in, right? And that recognition of the limits of our capacity. Um, And I think the other thing that can help people, especially in leadership and kind of that high achievement mentality is recognizing that really, for the most part, 80% is where people need to be, right? At kind of 80% is a good mentality to think about, right? And that maybe even that there's kind of diminishing returns above that. Now, if we're talking about proofreading a document that needs to go out, yeah, it needs to be proofread by a hundred different people. But if we're talking about other things, then maybe that looks different, right? And so kind of recognizing, are there times where we have to pay attention to the details a lot? Are there times when we don't? Are there times where we're letting perfect become an enemy of just done um, and kind of accepting that there's a limit to what we can do with our time? Uh, exactly. Exactly. That's very, very true because no one is perfect. So uh, that's uh, to keep in mind always. Yeah. So uh, also about uh, you emphasize the importance of naming what one really wants. So how can the individuals uh, identify their true desires and give themselves the permission to pursue them? I think that's a great question. And I think, unfortunately, there's no like magic 
like instant hack, right? Especially I think for women who are so often socialized to not ask that question from the very beginning, right? We are, we are kind of asked to take up less space, to be quiet, to be shy, to be good, and not necessarily to voice our wants. And so you may have 30, 40, 50 years of not checking in with your wants. And so I think there's a couple of ways. A, coaching and therapy are great ways to access those because that can be a big part of the process, right? Having someone else to reflect on that with you. Um, Another way is to just start practicing with little things. And so even if it's, what do I want for dinner tonight? Um, You know, to just practice saying, I want this thing. And it it doesn't necessarily mean you can have it, um, Mm -hmm. but just naming that is a helpful tool. It's a little bit like a muscle that you've got to exercise and get used to checking in with. The other way people can go about is by checking with their values. So I do a lot of work around, you know, naming our values and understanding our values. And there's some online quizzes. I have a values exercise. People are welcome to email me if they want to, you know, get my in the show notes. Um, It's just Dr. Ann Welsh at Gmail, and I can send some of those along. Sometimes an exercise where you get a concrete value list and have to narrow it down is a is an even easier way to start because you don't have to generate those things on your own. And then you can use those values as a kind of a way of assessing, do I want something, right? If Do I want it? Well, if it lines up with my values, maybe I do. But if it doesn't, then maybe that's something that I'm going to say no to. Yeah, exactly. So... Uh... If you could also share some specific strategies, maybe, or uh, rather, I would say advice for women working in the STEM and healthcare to navigate and uh, thrive in the fields that are often male-dominated. Yeah, this is a great question. And I think the very first thing is to, you know, as we to circle back to where we started a little bit, right, to say, to, to recognize that you are breaking barriers just by being where you are, right? That especially in STEM and healthcare, the number of women is still very small compared to the number of men. The number of women in leadership is even smaller. Um, You know, women receive less grant funding for their work in STEM, even when their grants are actually rated as on par with their male counterparts. They are less likely to get um, credit for their work academically. They are more likely to be denied authorship um, for discriminatory reasons, right? There's all sorts of stuff that they are facing. And if we put it out there and acknowledge it, I think that that's step one, right? Because you got to recognize you're playing this kind of unfair game. Then, I, I mean, I think the next steps are do um, to, to speak up for yourself and to um, kind of self-promote maybe in a way that we're not used to, to make sure that we're heard. And I also think and sponsor are both really important within STEM for that reason. And, and a mentor is someone who you can kind of go to with questions about your career. It doesn't have to be another woman, although that can certainly be helpful, um, who's someone that maybe within your organization or outside of it can kind of help you think about what you want as your next steps or how to get it. And usually it's someone that's further along in their career than you are. A sponsor is someone that's going to put your name up 
in when when you're not in the room, right? A sponsor, someone who's going to really advocate for you, especially one for yourself, and and having both of those people in your corner is huge. Um, and and even if you're someone who's not used to networking or kind of asking for relationships helps, you know, I am in that camp. I'm an introvert myself. I'm not very good at networking when you think of it kind of in a traditional way. To recognize that all of it is just relationship building, and that might be something that you maybe feel a little more comfortable with. Yeah, exactly, exactly true. So, uh, I mean, um, one one thing uh, I guess we are missing to discuss, which is um, you also support parents in their career growth. So, how do you uh, believe that parenthood enriches the individuals, and um, what will be the benefits that can organizations gain by supporting working parents? Yeah, champion of working parents. I am one myself. I was raised by two working parents. And and I think one of the really neat things is that when you have a kid, whether you are the birthing parent or not, your brain actually changes. It, it becomes primed for learning. Similar to that childhood kind of learning capacity we have, their neurochemical change so that your brain becomes more empathic, more attuned to the needs of others, and it becomes ready to learn new information, right? Because as a parent, you're going yeah. to have to learn all this new stuff. So it's this wonderful opportunity to, to grow. And we often think about that growth as just in the parenting realm, but it really all kind of t- um, ties into work and leadership. And I call them the, f- my, I call them the four Ps of parental leadership skills um, as in terms of thinking about the areas of, of how these things overlap. So one is people skills. You know, I mentioned empathy, but these are things like emotional intelligence, empowerment, um, all of the quote soft skills that we traditionally speak out speak about as being uh, relevant to leadership. The second P is processing skills. So things like being decisive, prioritizing, being adaptable, right? When you become a parent, you are drinking from the fire hose. You're learning new stuff all the time and you have to really quickly process that information. That's a great skill to be able to have at work, right? To quickly process information and make decisions. Um, The next P is productivity skills. So just being really productive with your time, tenacity, getting things done, um, being patient, being efficient, right? Again, as a working parent, all of a sudden you have no free time and you've got to make the use of very small amounts of time to get everything done. And that's a great tool to bring to work as well. And then the last thing is perspective taking and planning, right? As parents, we're constantly multitasking, we're constantly thinking about how to get a ton of stuff done at once. We're thinking long-term and short-term. These are all uh, essentially project management skills that we're gaining as a parent, again, that really parallel into what we need to do in our work lives, no matter what position you have. Wow. So um, before we wrap up, like, what final insights or advice would you like to share with our listeners, like especially those um, who are looking to achieve a healthier mind and the life while also pursuing ambitious goals? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes we get worried that if we ask ourselves what we want, 
and we listen to that voice that we are going to lose our ambition. And, and I think you have to acknowledge that there's room for both. And I'm, you know, a personal example of that, right? I am ambitious in my career and I took steps that seemed maybe backwards at various times and away from things. And those things were, those steps were scary, um, but they have been so important to my own kind of mental health and sense of and ability to enjoy my life and find a career that was really fulfilling for me. And so I would say, don't be scared to start that process of checking in with yourself and saying, is this something I really want? Um, And, uh, you know, again, seeking out coaching or therapy to help you with that, because it can be really hard to do on your own. Um, And once you start to name what you want, you'll see that you actually can go after it. You can maybe have some of those things that you want, and you can still hold on to your ambition within that. Wow, that's that's really lovely, I'd say. Great. And uh, there you have it, folks, like a thought-provoking and the candid discussion on women's concerns, the ambitious identity paradox, and the transformative power of the self-compassion. So I definitely want to express my heartfelt gratitude to our incredible guest today. And um, uh, so for sharing uh, her wealth of knowledge and the insights on navigating the intricate landscape of the ambitious careers and personal well-being. So thank you, Dr. Annie, for this. And uh, also, like, I, 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 I mean, as we conclude this episode, I always encourage all of you uh, to reflect on the unveiled truths and uh, that emerged today. So consider the importance of self-compassion, the strategies to defeat uh, the perfectionism, and also the empowering journey of naming and pursuing your true desires. So uh, uh, like, but before we uh, uh, proceed, I would love to uh, uh, ask uh, Dr. Annie to share, like if someone wants to connect with you, wants to have a discussion with you, uh, how they can reach out with you. Yeah, sure. My website is uh, www.dranwelsh.com. That's D-R- R-A-N-N-E-W-E-L-S-H. Um, I'm also on Instagram. It's at drdr.welsh.coaching. Um, and they can also connect with me at LinkedIn, which is Dr. Ann Welsh on LinkedIn as well. So happy to chat with people if they have questions. I always love connecting with new folks. Um, so reach out in any of those platforms and I look forward to hearing from you. That's really lovely. So uh, great, dear listeners. So always remember that your pursuit to a healthier mind and the life is a journey and not a destination. So embrace the learnings, apply the wisdom and continue exploration. So thank you for joining uh, on this uh, uh, episode today. And until next time, take care of your mind and live a life that aligns with your truest self. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me.